With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 75 of Tendy Talk, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the BLPA Podcast Networks. I'm your host, Joe, better known as Wash Up Goalie on social media. This week, I chat with former NHL goalie coach and Team Japan goalie in the 98 Olympics, Dusty Emu. We talk about Dusty's journey from junior hockey in Canada to playing in the ECHL and IHL to eventually spending over a decade in Japan and making an appearance in the Olympics to being a pro goalie coach who is part of the only father-son pro goalie tandem in history. So, without further ado, let's get to the conversation with Dusty. Well, hey, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I appreciate it, especially uh, considering we, we just started uh, changing text, what, yesterday? <laughs> yeah, no worries, man. Yeah. Sometimes when the, the idea is hot, it's better to just... Uh go with it right yeah when the stars align you, you know you got to strike why the iron's hot absolutely yeah. um you know and it, it's uh kind of fun to talk to you because i've heard your uh appearances on the in goal magazine and heard, heard you talk there so uh the struggle i think a lot of podcasts um hosts have is to to keep things fresh and not ask the same darn questions that you've probably been asked over and over <laughs> <laughs> hey no but everybody's got a different audience right so yep um it's it's all don't don't just let it flow how you want it to flow don't worry about uh trying to be different or oh yeah if you want to ask this something maybe that you heard me answer before uh, feel free to ask it again yeah absolutely and um you know to, to your point yeah every audience is different and well, I hope the people that listen to my podcast also listen to the Ingle podcast because they give invaluable information, you know, from the technical side to equipment uh, 
It's it's great. But, uh, you know, one thing I like to ask everybody is how did you get started playing the game of hockey? I mean, yeah, you're born in Canada, so it's probably natural. But, you know, what what got you started in the game? I think, like, I would guess, like, most kids back in the day, their their parents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not so much my mom, but, you know, my dad was a, a hockey fan and I, you know, I can't remember that far back, but I do. The, my first re, uh, memories of hockey are just in front of a, a, a television, uh, listening to the the Hockey Night in Canada uh, anthem. Yep. Wa- watching Peter Puck and just pretending to be a goalie or something. You know what I mean? So it, it starts kind of then, and and you know we. <laughs> anyone that's had kids, you know, you can be, it's easy to influence your kids. So that's probably where it started, I would guess. You know, you mentioned Peter Puck and I I wish they would bring him back in like, you know, not just Hockey Night in Canada, but the NHL embrace Peter Puck and the (laughs) awesomeness that he is. I actually have a t-shirt with him on there and it's like, it's just an awesome little guy that uh, they need to bring him back. Oh, I think it, uh, the simplicity of 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 um, just a simple uh, cartoon character, nothing crazy. N- yep. Nothing over the top. Just very simple and wholesome. Uh, some good values, uh, just uh, to help bring kids along uh, to want them to enjoy more of the simpler things about hockey, and just uh, not to turn it into something crazy and and out, out, outrageous. Just uh, wholesome fun. In- exactly. Yeah, I, I'm I'm full on. I agree with you on that one. <laughs> you know, and I, maybe come up with a uh, goaltender version for Peter Puck so that he has something to uh, <laughs> go on. But uh, I, I don't know what that would be offhand. But uh, yeah, I, I've always loved Peter Puck. So, you know, like you said, like most kids, you're introduced to the game because of your parents watching Hockey Night in Canada. What drew you between the, the pipes and said, you know what, rather than uh, shooting the puck, I want to stand in front of it? Well... Like I said, my memory is bad, but I, I do remember <laughs> from the very beginning that just the the look of the goalie, the you know they always drew a little more attention back then, and they had big personas like they 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 seemed like a, superheroes to me. <laughs> yeah, you know, it kind of that analogy is is I think fairly accurate. Like they they just seem like superheroes to me, uh, kind of special. And I gravitated towards that and how they looked. The goalie yeah. masks um, were huge for me. They, they each had their own identity. Uh, and, and the names of the goalies, just everything about them, I just found it drew me to that. And, I, you know, as I grew up, I, I was definitely I loved to be the center of, uh, you know, the, the, the praise and the attention <laughs> and, and all of that. You know, you were kind of... Every, if you're you did a good job, everyone thought, "Wow, you know, it was it was kind of neat." So I loved all of that stuff about it, and it just seemed like a real cool position. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And you know, it's it's funny you, you mentioned the praise, and I never really thought about the uh, stresses we were putting our parents through watching the game <laughs> until I got older, and then it really hit home. This uh, two weeks ago, I, I was at the uh, Minnesota Boys State High School hockey tournament. And it was the uh, semifinal game and my, my kid's school was in it. That's, that's why we went. And uh, 
the goalie's family, Ben Dardis, his family was sitting, you know, in the rows in front of us and just watching, not, not just mom and dad, but, you know, aunts and uncles, grandma and grandpa, you just, their their uh, stress throughout the game. And it's like, I, I never really thought about what I was putting them through. Um, yeah. You know, because I, I think most goalies, yeah, we have kind of that anxiety throughout the game, but we're not nearly as stressed out as they are in those situations. It's almost like, yeah. I don't know, even today in the beer leagues, when the puck's on the other end, I think that's when I get into my own head and it's like, oh, nothing, nothing good's happened lately. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, something's got to go soon and and then it happens. But w- when that breakaway is coming down, that, and I'm, I'm cool as a cucumber. It's like, all right, here we go. You know, let, let, yeah. let's see what happens here. And <laughs> it's, it's one of those things though, that I, I think most goalies don't, don't put, think about. Yeah. Well, I don't think at that when you're younger, especially you really are very considerate about anything your parents are thinking. <laughs> it's not really, at least when I was a kid, I, and yeah. I, I look back in my childhood, and I, there was lots of uh, re- regret. Uh, you know, not regret, just looking back and go, man, I just wish I had been a little more um, thankful and, and gracious mm-hmm. in my pursuit of my dreams. It was like I, I was like beeline and. I was just go, 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 and never really ever took the time to think about maybe what I was putting my parents through. And it, you, you're right, it wasn't until I became a hockey parent and a hockey goalie dad that you realized uh, so, how how stressful it can be <laughs> being, a, being a goalie parent for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because I've had the talks with my dad of, you know, uh, being focused and you know they understood I think more than we give them credit for as to our focus and maybe our uh, being naive or just oblivious to other things that were going on or the way we reacted Mm -hmm. to them because it wasn't important to us so like no this is our focus right now and um you know so at least I I've had that discussion with my my dad before it actually was a really fun day I I got to the point where I was done with college and everything else and Rather than him taking me to a Chicago Cubs baseball game, I took him to the game. And uh, one of his old firehouses was about a mile or so from the uh, ballpark. So we parked there and just walked through the neighborhood to the ball game, just talking about, you know, oh, cool. my youth and everything else. And it, it was kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, those are sometimes the, when you have that chance later on in life to go back and not redo, but just have some gratitude and try to, yep. um, to return, you know, pay it forward back to your parents and what, everything they've done for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, unfortunately, my, both my uh, father and my, my mother, uh, passed away at 59 and 61. So, oh boy. um, it, it was, uh, there was a lot of, uh, you know, I, a lot of, uh, reflection and, and, and it was tough when you weren't able to say some, do some of those things. Yeah. Even, even towards the end of their their lives that uh i was still i was loving the game and doing you know i'd come around a lot but i was still very me driven (laughs) and uh you know i was off in another part of the world and doing my thing and uh you know even during the olympics in 98 my my dad was died just the year before my mom was still around but i and she came my in-laws came and 
they're all there supporting and that, it was great but i never i remember being totally like okay i can't talk to you guys like mm -hmm. you know instead of maybe savoring that a little more because when i did get a chance to see my mom and stuff i i didn't show her the time uh that i i wished i had you know right I mean? yep uh, yeah it, it's funny too because you mentioned you know as we get older they're still our biggest fans you know uh, I sent my dad a text just this week, you know, about my beer league game because I've never been very good at playing the puck. And this week I just, I don't know what it was. I, I decided to come out of the net and play the puck a little bit more. And I came out, I stopped the puck, you know, to the right of the net and had two guys coming down. And I don't know, something just clicked this week. I never paid attention to, you know, what hand the guys, you, you know, were, but there were two defenders coming at me as I've got the puck and, the left-handed guy was on this side. The right-handed guy was on this side. So I was just like, well, their sticks are going the opposite way. I got the, and I just had the head pass again, not good playing the puck, but I went tape to tape <laughs> and the guy went down and scored. And, you know, I texted my dad. I was like, yeah, I still suck at playing the puck, but man, did I have a sweet pass this week and got an assist. He goes, well, good to see some things are, you're consistent with some things and you haven't gotten better with it. <laughs> you know. But yeah, it's just, it's kind of fun that I, I still feel the need at, at this age to, you know, send them those texts after the beer league games. Well, that's a gift. That's a blessing for sure yeah. that you still get to do that. That's Absolutely. You know, so, you know, getting back to you playing hockey, you know, you're born in Canada, you wind up playing junior hockey, uh, and, and then you wind up uh, playing in the minor leagues, you know, the, the old ECHL and even older, the IHL, you know, I'm old enough to remember the IHL. I, a, a lot of these kids listening to the podcast are like, what the heck is that? You know, really the IHL yeah. at the time was the AHL, you know, it, well, it, was, it was, it was good league. Yeah. I mean, the AHL was around, but it was, you know, the IHL was kind of the, uh, the step down from the NHL from what I remember. Uh, yeah, so no, there are a lot of good players. There's uh, a lot. The, the the difference for me back then that I really noticed was there were a lot of younger players in the American League, mm -hmm. and then there were more experienced uh, guys going a little more for the money mm -hmm. uh, in the IHL, and the and the cities were definitely better. Yeah, uh, there were still some pits, but uh, <laughs> the, there were some really good cities too. Whereas the American League at the time had a lot of uh, holes. <laughs> uh, uh, that's how I remember it anyways. You know, I was jaded. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, being from Chicago, I'm st to this day still a Wolves fan and it's, you know, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that was a pretty good stop along the way to uh, play some hockey, nice little building they have out there. Yeah. There's some really cool cities, especially on the Western swing. They, mm -hmm. uh, San Diego and yep. uh, those teams out, out that way were, we're in the eye at the time and, and yeah. uh, a lot of, a lot of good cities. San Diego, they were the spiders, weren't they? Oh uh, no, they were the gulls. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, San Diego what? gulls. Yeah. I was going to say, why am I thinking the spiders? I know there was a spider somewhere, but yeah, the gulls. And now they've come back to the AHL. They, they've resurrected that team, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, uh, I, when I was back working for LA and, and the, the Ontario rain were in the minors and uh, I used to love going over to San Diego. I, I thought it was one of the best play. If I could have 
resurrected my career in the minors <laughs> somewhere. That would be it. It was it was really cool place. Well, I, how could you not want to play there? I mean, you you go do your time on the ice and then walk out of the arena and you're in San Diego where it's like 78 and sunny 98% of the time. Yeah. And <laughs> the other thing that was really cool is the building was a bit of a old uh, relic, but because being the goalie coach, I would be, I would stand, sit up top and they didn't have a, a presser for, for me to sit. So I would just sit in the stands uh-huh. and, and the fans there, are nuts <laughs> like you would go to the beginning of the game and the game would start and it looked like it'd be half full and you're like what's going on and sure enough you you go in the lobby they were still in the lobby getting their fill of their beer and and they would kind of slowly roll in and by the by the end of the first period and into the second that place was rocking and those fans were crazy it was a pretty good mix of uh, like college and mm-hmm. a younger crowd it was really neat and I've heard that, you know, San Diego might ha- not have a huge hockey following, but the following they have, it's like a cult following. Oh, yeah. They're oh. going to show up every single day and they're going yeah, to be on their game. Sure. Uh, you know, which I don't know as a player, I, I, I'd prefer that over, you know, the, the big following of casual fans that aren't paying attention and really don't know what's going on. Well, you go to a lot of NHL games, a lot of barns, and it's lost that feel it's yep. because the tickets are so expensive and it's like a big event to go to one of those games. And they're usually uh, spending it as like a a big date, like to go out and do something as opposed to I'm going to support my team. And that's kind of the purpose. Yep. So it's like you see a lot of wealthy and, and people are, it's not the same vibe as going to say a minor league game uh, or even a junior game for that matter, where it's solely about supporting your team. Right? Yeah. And that's it. My mom and dad, uh, I think it was around 2002. They had tickets to a Blackhawks game and they're going in and my dad sees uh, another fireman he knows. And they, the other guy goes, well, Hey, you know, we got suite tickets. We got extra room. You guys want to come to the suite? And they're like, well, yeah, we're not going to pass up the free food and drinks. And yeah, yeah. so they, they go. And my, my mom was like, I was really disappointed. Me and your dad were the only ones that actually sat in a seat and watched the hockey game. Everybody else was just like not eat backs to the game. And she's like, what's the point in spending that money if you're not even going to watch the game? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I actually took, I haven't been to an NHL game in a couple seasons, but uh, I took my son to see the uh, Blackhawks and Wild this weekend in St. Paul. And I mean, we, we got, I'm I'm the kind of fan. I want to get there early. I want to watch warmups. And because yeah. I had him, we went down by the glass to watch the Hawks warm up. And then we get up to our seats and, you know, like we make sure we're in our seats for the puck drop and, yeah. you know, we're, we're just sitting there intent watching the whole game. It's, it, and uh, the, the people usual. Yeah, it's like the people that are just, you know, eh, if I miss some of the play, I miss some of the play. Although we did leave with about 30 seconds left in the first period to go down and get our concessions because it was like, there's a stoppage in play. Not much is going to happen. Let's beat the rush. And we were back in our seats before everybody left theirs to go get their concessions. So it was good timing there. <laughs> I, I just want to say there is one you know place that I still believe has a real good vibe. And I'm not saying that there's, you know, there's a ton of teams yeah. out there that, you know, that probably have great fans, but I will say LA is a, a pretty good vibe when you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there are a lot of rich people and, and celebrities and whatnot, but it's still a big party and it's pretty cool. It's yeah. still a lot of fun. Well, and I think some people learned in the LA cup runs, the number of actual hockey fans that are celebrities, like they know the oh, game, yeah. like Pat Sajak, uh, Will, Will Ferrell is a big hockey fan, even oh, Snoop yeah. Dogg. I mean, Snoop Dogg knows the game and he, he's yeah. a fan of it. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of, celebrities out there that know the game and uh what did i hear pat sajak spent a season ticket holder since like 1987 you know coming to every game and i i think some people are like no that can't be true (laughs) yeah well for Um, sure it's it's funny sometimes it takes uh a cup run or or whatever yeah obviously was the biggest reason for that turnaround in that city but you know actually winning the cup and then winning it again really changed the whole uh vibe of that city yeah and the the pride in actually being a hockey town and and a hockey champion Mm -hmm. changes a lot of people yeah (laughs) yeah you know because for so long people think la they think either the dodgers or the lakers and all of a sudden the kings are like wait a minute no we're, we're here too and we're pretty darn good yeah yeah no it's it's a it's a cool vibe and it's uh I, I still have a, a lot of great memories from that place. You know, when you talk memories, so, somewhere along the way, as you're playing minor league hockey here in the States, you wind up in Japan. Yeah. You, you know, and this is the early days of the internet. So it's not like you're out there discovering, you know, the Japanese league. You know, some of these kids today, they're just trying to stick around in the game and they're traveling through Sweden or, you know, wherever in, yeah. you know, I'm probably one of those people that I've been like, sign me up. I'll go to Japan if it means I get to keep playing. How the heck did you find out about pro hockey in Japan in those days? Oh, yeah. Well, it wasn't me um, <laughs> by any means. It was uh, like, how did it actually happen? The I got a phone call. You know, I was going to maybe my third NHL team camp, uh and I was going to go to my third NHL camp and I hadn't uh, signed with the team yet. And I was wondering where I was going. I got a, I got a call from Dave King mm-hmm. and uh, back then Dave King was Mr. Hockey, Hockey Canada and, and uh, well-respected. And he told me that uh, he had uh, been approached and signed uh, a big deal with the, uh, the Japanese Hockey Federation to, build the hockey program there for the Olympic program because they were heading into the 98 Olympics. And this would have been in like 94. Yeah. I think. And um, asked if I would be interested uh, in going over there and playing in the pro league with the intent to uh, obtain my Japanese citizenship and then play for the Olympic team. So this Dave King kind of his big, uh, uh, big plan was to find as many Japanese Canadians that were playing <laughs> pro uh, and bring them over to the league and, and build that league and, and bring over some higher end import players to build up the league, et cetera, et cetera. So he was the one kind of running all of that and asked me, and I think at the time it might've been 11 guys uh, or so. Um, and uh, I asked I had a, a, a family. I'd already had three kids at the time. And I was like, well, you know, I, I, I really want to, you know, 
keep pursuing, you know, and for my, you know, get a break and whatnot. He said that uh, what they could offer me. And then I was like, that's kind of where I had to. Everyone thinks that it was the Olympics that made me make the decision. And mm -hmm. it wasn't. It was right. Literally, I, I was able to support my family better. So I, I went over there with the idea to play through to 98, the Olympics, and then come back. Yeah. And um, it just ended up being that they treated me and my family and, and financially so well that I just kind of had to put the NHL uh, goals and dreams to bed. And, and I ended up staying there for 12 years. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You talk about how they treated you. Um, my first job out of college, I was actually a community newspaper sports editor in our baseball high school baseball coach. He played a little bit in the major leagues, but he wound up playing baseball over in Japan. And he said mm -hmm. the way they treated them was just so good that he's like, he didn't want to leave until his you know <laughs> career was over because uh, he, he said it was definitely different, you know, over there is very much, uh, uh, what's the right way to put it? You know, there's a lot of respect and uh, uh -huh. honor. You know, your word means something and whatnot. Yeah. And he goes, it was just, how, how could he leave that when they were treating him so well? He, he almost right. felt bad. So I want to know, how did that conversation go? You get home, you got three kids, and you look at your wife and you go, Japan. I think that's our next stop. You know, <laughs> that had to have been more than just like a two minute conversation. How did that one go over? Well, I was kind of like, like I told you how I was with my parents. All yeah. From the time I was little, I was similar in regards with my wife and, and what we were doing. Uh, and I, I don't mean, I wasn't a, a, a rude bully by any means, but it was like, I was very, you know, this is what we're going to do. And, uh, I think this is best. And I, I, I will say this, she, she's, you know, through my whole career was, uh, you know, whatever I wanted to do or needed to do, or it was just, uh, a lot of <laughs> supporting and <laughs> nodding your head. And, uh, cause you know, they, all of them, the, the family put up with a lot in, of change, constant change yeah. and travel and, and whatnot uh, throughout my career. So, um, but yeah, there was, you know, and we weren't in a financial position at the time to go, well, you know what, let, maybe if we just, you know, the, the, the opportunity and the, the money was there, right there. Yeah. And I, I didn't have uh, that luxury to, to weigh my options. <laughs> Uh, it was the right move at the time. And then it ended up being a great move. I didn't plan for it to be what it was, uh, but it ended up being the best decision in my life. And you know what? It, it's funny because, you know, uh, a lot when I was growing, you know, growing up in my young adulthood, uh, there was a lot of time where I was like, man, you know, I was ranked number one in central scouting. I had these high aspirations I should have been this. I should have been a number one in the HL. Like, you know, but as time went on, I realized I was given a really good gift and I, I should be thankful uh, that I was able to provide and, and, and do well for myself and, and play the game I love for so long, refine my, my heritage. There's so many things that I, I am grateful for that I'm like, you know what? It didn't lead me down the path I thought I was supposed to go on but it led me down the right path. You know, mm -hmm. It ended up being the right path for me. 
Yeah. And, and, and that's awesome. You know, in, you mentioned your heritage, you know, being Japanese Canadian, you know, how in touch with your uh, heritage were you or, you know, or was it yeah. like a full immersion? Like, Hey, I know I'm Japanese, but now I got to learn what it means when we get over there. Yeah. I got to play the part now. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 my grandma, and my grandpa, um, I was very close to on my dad's side. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but my, my grandpa uh, spoke barely any, and my grandma spoke no English. And, uh, I'd, I'd stay with them all day, be babysat by them all day. And I don't know. I just somehow communicated with them. I <laughs> yep. never learned Japanese, but, uh, so I definitely knew what, where I came from and, and my heritage, but I was so a busybody. It was, you know, as soon as I left there, I, I wasn't thinking about, wow, you know, my Japanese heritage. I got to find out more about that. I was, as soon as I left my grandma and grandpa's house, I was like back to being just me in Canada. Yeah. And, uh, it wasn't until this all happened with me and I went there that I was like, holy smokes. You know, I, <laughs> I, I got a huge new uh, spark uh, under my butt to, to find out more about where I actually came from on part of me yeah and my family and and then i had to learn some japanese to communicate also to to get my citizenship and it just it just brought out this whole other side of me that i was very proud of and uh and learned so much about my family that i never knew about that my my parents my dad never ever spoke about you know with the internment camps and uh and all of that during you know the war and and so much so much history that i never cared about yeah it, it's uh, funny yeah. you say that because that generation for whatever reason didn't like to talk about their past um yeah. you know and, and i think about my grandparents at least the three i got to meet um because i never met my grandpa on my dad's side he passed away when my dad was young uh but my grandmother on my dad's side she grew up in england and was a war bride mm -hmm. And they're like most of her youth, we don't know much about, like, we understand that we know the town she grew up in. We've actually all been back there and walked around the village. But when war broke out, she was sent up into the Northern countryside to work in one of the Royal palaces. We're like, where's the connection? We don't know, but that was yeah. how the family kept her safe. And then on my mom's side, my grandparents are from Holland. My, my grandpa fought for the Dutch resistance army. He was, I, I only know this because towards the end of his life, I, I started asking him questions. And so I know he defused bombs. Uh, so if you've ever seen the movie, the hurt locker, that was him without all of the stuff. It was just, you know, um, but I know he was stationed in what he called French Indochina, which is now the Philippines, and then Africa. And he tried, he was telling me that, yeah, when, when they got bored, uh, when they were in Africa, they would go wrestle the uh, crocodiles. And I was like, no, you didn't, Grandpa. And he goes, yeah, I did. And I go, oh, okay. And, and he goes, go down into my workshop and look on top of the wood pile. And he had the hide of one of the crocodiles. I was like, <laughs> no way. I you know, there's still a little bit of skepticism because you can buy that kind of stuff, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take your word now. But then my grandma, who we can say all of us grandkids, even my mom and aunt, 
will say, you know, she wasn't the nicest of ladies. She didn't have a lot of love in her, but mm. her and her family hid Jews from the Nazis. And I'm going, okay, grandma, you're kind of a badass. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you've got to pass to not be very nice these days. Cause you did something pretty, pretty awesome. But it was like, these are things that we had to pry out of them to find out about their yeah. past. And it's like, I, I would love to have had like the, the whole history of what right. they were doing in those times, but they, they didn't want to talk about it. And when my grandparents came over from Holland, they, they wanted to be American. So yeah, there, there were certain things they still did. Some of the cuisine, you know, there, there's one dish that they made and I still love. And now my wife, who's not Dutch has learned how to make it. Cause she's like, this is delicious. <laughs> um, but uh, they wanted to be American. And then again, when my grandma came over from England, you know, there were some things, but she's like, Hey, this is where I live now. Uh, she never did lose the accent, though. She always had that great English accent. And uh, my, my friends loved it when they would come over and she was there. <laughs> um, so y- you go over to Japan, you bring the family with you. It's not like you were over there for one or two seasons. I mean, mm-hmm. you, in essence, raised your kids in Japan in the the early yeah. days. I mean, what was... What was that like? But at the same time, you know, once you decide to leave Japan and come back to Canada, how did they handle that? Because I, I would assume mm-hmm. they almost viewed Japan as home at that point. Yeah, for sure. Well, one one thing we really, looking back, tried to do um, was not create a, uh, I don't want to say not create a home, but not say one place is home. Yeah. We, we considered uh, we would play the season they finished the school, we'd fly from Tokyo to Vancouver and stay two and a half months or whatever mm-hmm. with my mom and dad and my grandma and grandpa lived downstairs. And we would just stay in that, that, that house all yeah. And then we would fly to Florida or, or Indiana, depending for years they were in, my in-laws were in Florida and, um, and we would stay with them for uh, the rest of the summer and then fly back to Tokyo <laughs> And so we just did that all the time. And we even would go back sometimes for Christmases, you know, every other Christmas, I would say, uh, and not spend it in, in Tokyo. But uh, we did that a lot and just made sure we made that they had a good sense of uh, grandparents on both sides mm-hmm. and on family on where they are from and who, you know, they're American, they're Canadian. <laughs> uh, and, they're Japanese and uh, they just ne- never said, you know, I'm Canadian or I'm this or I'm yeah. that. They just felt a, a little bit of a melting pot of themselves. And, you know, they they stayed for um, uh, nine years. And then the last three seasons I, I played by my, I went over by myself. And we decided that because the the older boys – my daughter had already was graduating, so she was on you know going to be on her own and everything. Mm-hmm. But my older boys were right at that age where, uh, you know, Jonah, my my the goalie son, he would have been in Adam, like, mm-hmm. and uh, and then going into Adam and my other son would have been in Pee Wee. And I was like, you know what? I think maybe it's, we and my wife thought it was best that they kind of build a base now in, in Canada yeah, because they wanted to do hockey more seriously. And they want, I thought it was just getting around that time where you don't want to, 
be too late in coming back home and be really out of place. Yeah, pretty um, destructive pers- ages. Personally, too, you know, in school and 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 going into high school and stuff. So we we elected to go that route. And every year it was great. I was having the the time of my life hockey wise, but it was just getting a little each year after that last year I came home and I was like, yeah, they want to sign me again. And um, wife was like, you know, if you sign that contract, you can pretty much stay there. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, this, cause this <laughs> was before was FaceTime and all of that. So, I mean, it's not in, you weren't calling every night cause you know, you had to wait till after seven o'clock to get long distance rates. <laughs> yeah. It was tough. And I was flying back and forth and, and, I I remember at the end uh, in uh, I can't remember it, was, it would have been two thousand four my and through three and four my my mom was dying of cancer so I was flying back and forth because yeah. uh, a couple times they thought it was the end and I was mm-hmm. flew back and she hung on and I fled back again and so it was just getting to be a little bit much and uh, although I thought I was doing a lot of it for my family, uh, I, I thought that I, it was more important that, you know, I, maybe I hang him up and find another path and, and try to be around my family. And so that's, you know, I think it was all six when I finally packed it in. So, you know, you're talking about your mother when, when you made that 98 Olympic team for team Japan, mm-hmm. you make that call home to mom you know, what was that like? There, there had to be a certain sense of pride for her knowing that you were playing for Team Japan, mm-hmm. you know, representing your heritage. Well, the 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 whole, it was a long process. So the, it was long before the actual Nagano actually came about that, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the goal was to have, me on that team and 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 so i kind of knew that i was going to be on that team so long as i got the actual passport and um uh so she was you know they they had planned and they prepared and we flew all of them my in-laws my mother over for the actual olympics themselves so the 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 actual conversation would have been more after it was all done mm-hmm. uh, and and we had sat down I actually remember the one time I did have a moment actually to 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 sit with them and, and whatnot was in between games it wasn't done yet and I met them at McDonald's <laughs> it was but it was a, a McDonald's like I, it was the weirdest thing but Dave King and his wife were there and we were all just met there to kind of see our families and whatnot and uh uh she she was very very proud of of me and and I think there was a lot of feelings going on with her because my dad was gone and and uh, wasn't able and my my son had uh, uh, I think I think he was born right after that so and you know just the the successions of those th- few things were just there was a lot yeah so after we finally were able to sit back and and talk about it. Uh, she was uh, a lot more open and showing her love and support and, and, and just how proud she was. That's awesome. 
The NHL season has been packed with dirty dangles, hat tricks, and big wins. As the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has your shot to win big, too. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's right, a bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. Bet just $1 on any NHL team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Now, you know, you had mentioned you decided to hang the skates up playing wise and and then you move on to that next chapter. And for you, that was becoming a goalie coach. Mm -hmm. Um, When you were playing, did did you think that was going to be the the next uh, chapter or was it just opportunity knocked and and you jumped at it? Uh, Zero percent (laughs) uh, chance if you had asked me as a player or even a year or two after yeah, a couple, two, three years after, I I would have said no. I specific, purposely left the game because I I was retiring under reasons, not because I didn't want to play anymore or I didn't think I could play anymore. I actually did it for the family, and I I I don't regret it was the right decision, but uh, it was hard for me to be around the game mm-hmm. because I felt I could play. I really wanted to play, and uh, I didn't. So I didn't even consider being a coach. I, I, you know, dug my feet into a business. We opened a smoothie shop and uh, in White Rock, British Columbia. And I was like, that was my thing. I was going to be a businessman. And, <laughs> and then um, 08 hit and I lost everything. And, uh, and then I was literally just reeling. We lost, when I mean everything, I mean everything. And, mm-hmm. and uh, we, I ended up getting a job at a dealership, a friend of mine that I bought all my cars through my whole career from, you know, helped me uh, find a dealership. And I started freaking selling cars. And I was like, this is hell. It's my life has turned into pure hell. And I was very down. It was a low point. It was, uh, and I hadn't even, I hadn't uh, uh, stopped uh, drinking. Uh, It was like part of my whole career and my life and and uh you know a few things led me to uh realize you know i gotta find my life again and 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 do something i love because that's when i'm at my best and mm-hmm. I was like, you know what i'm gonna i think i'm gonna try to get back in the game and i thought well goalie coach would be the only thing that i i feel i could maybe maybe do mm-hmm. and uh so i i started just you know made that first step and made a couple calls to old buddies old teammates and i talked to billy ranfer and uh cory hirsch was a big uh part of influence in the early days uh, justin helped me take make some moves and talking talking to some people giving me emails of gms and stuff so 
Um, I remember I got uh, an interview with um, Seattle in the WHL mm-hmm. and Russ Falwell there hired me. Uh, and it was just like I went there maybe six days in the month. So I'd go, you know, a couple times a month down there. And uh, I just to see if one, if I was any good at it. And two, if, if it was something I could really be passionate about. And, uh, and I was still, <laughs> I was still at the dealership and, uh, and uh, doing this at the same time. And I was like, man, I, I just got a spark again. You know, like I want to do, I want to be around the rink and, Yep. And then I realized that I was, I was actually pretty good at it. Like I had this ability to connect with the people, and uh, and uh, get people these conversations I was having with guys uh, really seemed to make an impact. And uh, I and I started using all my past experiences to help teach them, and not just these good ones, but a lot of my mistakes. And, just helping them focus on becoming a professional, you know, if they want to make that jump to become a pro hockey player. And Calvin Pickard was um, my first big project because he was a highly touted guy and uh, I, I wanted to help him make that step, right? Yep. And uh, after this, the second year, I realized I want to do this. Yeah. So the, sorry, after the first year, I, I realized I want to do it. So I started... I talked to Hershey and he gave me all the list of GM's emails in the NHL. And I just started, made an email and a resume and uh, also contacted all my connections in the NHL world and said, Hey, I'm going to want to do this. And um, after this, the second year I, uh, I got, um, I talked to my buddy Wade Flaherty in Winnipeg and um I got it. He said they they were a little far in the process and they they were going to hire a development guy. And Mm -hmm. that was not norm back then in the NHL. And I said, well, that's, that's what, that's my job. That's, that's, (laughs) that's in my wheelhouse, man. And he's going, well, you would like to do that? And I said, dude, yeah. And he said, well, I'll see if I can maybe get you an interview. And, um, Heisinger, uh, called me two days later and said, uh, would you be willing to fly to Winnipeg? And I did. And I got that job and that's kind of <laughs> where it all kind of started. And my first project was, uh, Hutch and he went from the East coast to the NHL and the next year it was Heli and <laughs> yeah, it just kind of took off. Yeah. And I mean, it, it wound up, uh, bringing you to the West coast. So a little bit of a warmer climate than, uh, Winnipeg and you wind up, <laughs> yeah, you know, with the Kings and in their organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was while with that organization, you're working with Ontario. That's Ontario, California, not yeah. uh, right, Toronto right. is guys like um, uh, Bissonette didn't realize until he had to go there. <laughs> um, and you you get to uh, coach a goalie that you knew pretty well, your son. Uh, what oh, was yeah. what was that like? You know, that <laughs> coaching your son at the pro level. It was a, a high, for sure. I would say the biggest highlight of my my coaching career because it combined 
my family with my coaching career. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, unfortunately, it, I think it added, you know, an element to Jonah's uh, path that maybe was a little too hard, difficult for him to overcome a lot of the outside noise that was mm -hmm. happening and, and whatnot. But I, I'm forever thankful uh, for that opportunity because, and I think now Jonah is as well looking back at it that, you know, that never happens <laughs> and uh, for it to happen the way it did and, and whatnot is something we can take to our graves and be very proud and, and thankful for. Now the, the the car ride home after those games was it like youth hockey goalie dads where you were just picking apart his play or was it a little more supportive? <laughs> yeah, no, I I I feel I I learned my my craft and what I do and my philosophy always has been as a parent to as a parent to be just a parent and yeah. a loving supporting parent and I I did both separately. I made sure that that was first and foremost. Uh, but if we were to ever have a moment of talking about certain things and it was hockey, it was hockey. But um, I really thought the most important thing was to be a support to him because there was so much outside noise about all that stuff that I needed to be more of a support, you know. Hang yep. on a sec. Just let me. Yeah. No worries. So my, my home phone. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. You know, and for anybody watching the video of this, you know, th there's a beautiful display in the background of two jerseys because <laughs> you had the really unique uh, opportunity to be an e-bug for the rain for a game, a game that your son was starting. I mean, that locker room experience. I mean, I, I play beer league with some, you know, father-son duos and that's cool that they're in the locker room together mm -hmm. and experiencing that but to be in a pro hockey locker room getting ready for a game with your son I mean that had to have just you know aside from you know getting married and the birth of your kids it's got to be right up there with the Olympics I would assume <laughs> well I told I think I, I've said it on a, a number of occasions that uh, when people ask me like actual highlights of my career period yeah uh hockey coaching playing whatever that would that was definitely the highlight of my career um and i think i i can speak for a lot of people that are parents that you know when you can combine something you love in your, your family it that's the ultimate and uh that kind of opportunity just doesn't happen like, like it did and yeah. uh as as tense and, and and crazy as it was looking back at it, it it was there was no greater highlight for me you know i won a lot of championships over in japan which were awesome like just such a thrill to be part of a team winning something and yeah and then the olympics uh it's funny though the olympics is actually quite a ways down in some of my uh thrills and achievements of what i i'm most proud of uh, I loved it and it was awesome, but there's just something more, uh, another level when I could be a part of something with my son that, you know, his first American league hockey game. And I was just like, 
just as a parent, not, I'm not talking about as a coach. I was just yeah. like, this is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> like, I'm like, it would be cool just to see if my, your son was going to play in the American Hockey League and you just go and get tickets and you're like, they're supporting. What a rush, right? Yeah. Well, I'm his freaking backup goalie <laughs> on the bench right there. And I'm his coach. Yeah. It was just like you couldn't wrap it you couldn't have wrapped it up better all into one big nice awesome golden prize. <laughs> the the writers down the street in Hollywood couldn't have scripted it better. No. 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 It was it was pretty awesome. Uh definitely a memory, you know, for for the whole family. You know, a- after coaching in LA though, you made an interesting move. You, you could have stayed mm-hmm. in the NHL, but you decided to go uh, become the goalie coach for the the Red Stars over in China, mm-hmm. and you know, almost bringing the Olympics uh, full circle. They they were founded to do the same thing that yeah. happened, you know, in Japan because of them recently hosting. They wanted to build exactly. the game. You know, was that maybe part of the decision because you were part of the Japanese version of the Red Stars in a way to you know, get uh, some of the Chinese-born players ready to to represent uh, their their heritage country, I guess we could call them? Yeah, that, that obviously was a, a big part of the discussion in luring me over there. <laughs> uh, it was definitely a focus of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, the, the challenge of something new and and different and the I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The, the financially, it was just something that I couldn't, I couldn't turn down. Right. Uh, I, I, I believed in my heart that I said, you know what, if I want to go back to the NHL and, and become a, a head guy, uh, I can do that later. Uh, but for me, and I said this a million times over that, the NHL and having the title or, or my goal, my goals were never set for me as far as uh, I want to be this in five years or I want to be, you know, the head goalie coach for an NHL team. It, that was not even anywhere on my list, even low in the list. It just never, I never cared about that. My goal was to be the best at what I could do and help people and, and achieve their dreams. And, and that was the rush I was getting mm-hmm. now, financially. Yeah. It wasn't, uh, I, w- I needed to find another level financially as a development guy and they, LA took care of me, no doubt. And uh, yeah. on that end of spectrum, I was on the upper end for sure, but there was another level I wanted to get to so I could have freedom in my life and, and, and do the things I want to do. And, uh, making this move to the KHL was, I believe the right move and coupled with the fact that I could, there was, you know, they were proposing this idea of me helping build the the Olympic program with my experience personally, uh, especially that it's a a lower uh, seated Asian team, never been Olympics. It was like the exact same thing. Um, Different circumstances changed and, uh, you know, I don't know if we want to get into that end of things because uh, it's been very positive up to this point, this whole podcast. Yeah, no. But, it, it, yeah, it, it's interesting because, I mean, we, we look at 
current geopolitical <laughs> um, affairs, e- even leading up to the Olympics before what's happening in Ukraine happened. And the tensions were still high over in China. So it, it was interesting, yeah. uh, you know, following some of these North American athletes that were representing China and hearing the stories. And I, I think that's what got it for me is, you know, some people were hopping on these athletes going, you know, how, how could you compete for China when this is, they're doing this or they're doing right. that. But a lot of the stories I heard, like um, the goaltender O'Brien, you know, he grew up in a household with his two Chinese grandparents and, you know, he grew up with that strong Chinese culture. So it was important to him. And I, I kind of feel bad now because I put a tweet out there during the Olympics when I just saw his last name, O'Brien, is I'm Irish going, okay, you know, <laughs> the Irish, we talk about what, what clan we're part of, which in Gaelic, that means what family and what county you come from. So I, I put a tweet out there that talked about, you know, O'Brien, he's from the, you know, O'Brien clan. And I, I forget what province I found. You know, I, ju- I just Googled Chinese mm-hmm. provinces. I was having all fun. But then I heard his story on Ingle Magazine. It's like, well, now I feel like a real jerk for putting that out there <laughs> because not knowing the other side of his family and how tight he really was to that Chinese culture. Yeah. Of course, it made sense. And, um, you know, hearing some of the other stories. Now, there's a, f- a few of the athletes where you heard the story and it was simply they they uh, they weren't going to make, you know, the Canadian or the American team and uh, they were, weren't going to be good enough for it. So they said, hey, I'm, I'm going to go get my Chinese citizenship now. And okay, right. you know, you, you got to, to be in the Olympics and I, I can't fault any athlete for wanting to compete at the highest highest level you know so it's i think those arguments could be had every day and i don't know if anybody's ever right on it it's what was right for the athlete what 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 was right for them at the time and in their heart you know yeah i i think at the end of the day they they will look they will look at themselves and that's what the most important thing is if they can look at their decisions and, and uh and weigh the the positives and the negatives or whatever. Yeah, they can live with what they've done and, and choose that they've made a good decision in their lives. Uh, that's that's their right, their freedom to do what they want to do. And uh, yeah, everybody has an opinion. <laughs> yeah, on it on everything, and uh, as do I. You know what I mean? But like, there's some things that I believe that uh, my my opinion uh, doesn't. Uh, how do I say this? It doesn't diminish what they feel in their hearts. Right. What they've done. You know what I mean? So I, I, uh, have nothing but, uh, love for, I knew all those guys and, uh, whether I, I wanted to be a part of that or not, uh, that's for me to have inside of me and, and whatever they did, uh, if they've, they felt they did uh, their family proud. Yeah, you know? uh, that's a big thing. Uh, yeah, you know, you know, the CCP is not necessarily their family, right? You know what I mean, like, I, so there, there's a separation in that. So I, I always try to find the good about it. You know, like there's a lot of things about that whole Olympic thing, yeah, as it led up that I had a lot of things reservations and and 
and problems with. I, you know, and that's just what I felt. But uh, what you just mentioned about Paris and, and uh, his grandparents, and, and that has nothing to do with uh, uh, politics. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's what we are reminded every time the Olympics come around is that the people of the nation are not their government. Exactly. Yeah. And that's tough to separate sometimes. And it's, yeah, it's a, a lot to do with the similarities in in the woke uh, cancel culture mob. Yes. They generalize and, and, and paste stuff to people based on small things that you, you, they generalize so much. And, you know, if you get lumped in with something, you're you're going to take the fall, man. It doesn't matter whether it has nothing really to do with how you stand as a person, but that's just kind of how it is now in today's culture. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a lot of the comments about, you know, those players and whatnot uh, are very generalized and they don't know, you know, really why they did what they did and chose what they chose. And, and uh but everybody's a bloody critic nowadays so yeah it, exactly and you know rather than taking the time to find out the story behind the story people just jump to their conclusion that they look at you know the old don't judge a book by its cover um mm-hmm. and the, i don't know if it's the old journalist i mean i always like to find out the story before i make up my mind where it's like okay this is what i'm seeing but what Tell me more. I, I, I want to know about this. And I, I think sometimes well, people, they don't like to put in the effort to find out. Well, it's tough too. It's tougher even if you, the average person only does a quick click here and there yeah. to find out. And they, they make their judgment on a couple clicks. Yeah. And then that's it. That They've made their mind up, right? And it gets tougher when the, the mainstream media has usually pushes one thing and then with and then so if you only are a couple click person <laughs> you're usually going to get one version right yep and, on the people it, that just read a headline and don't read the story behind it <laughs> and i don't really want i i don't want to get too deep into it but i yeah i just you can click on me now yeah and <laughs> and and the headlines uh are <laughs> mind-boggling like they're so inaccurate but if that's all you read right then that's what you're gonna get right and yeah god, god forbid people have their own opinions these days for one or yeah. even consider somebody else's opinion and go you know what that's something to think about you know i yeah. might not agree with them but they, they make a good point people don't like that they, they don't like alternate opinions these days that uh for whatever reason, I've become a fan of presidential memoirs. And when I was reading Ronald Reagan's, uh, he was famous for him and Tip O'Neill, who was the Speaker of the House at the time, right. for the young kids. That was basically the Nancy Pelosi of the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were always hate going against each other. But in the book, he revealed that once a week, they would have dinner together. Right. They wouldn't talk politics. They would talk about their families, their pets, and all this other stuff. So they got to know each other as people and they respected each other. So that when they did have these big, you know, public battles, they were also able to first come to an understanding of, okay, what do we agree on first? So that if 
we don't get anywhere, we at least have a base to agree on. And then everything else is ancillary. We, we can figure that, that stuff out along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's a dying thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a thing of the past, I think. Yeah, it's it's sad. You know, I it's kind of funny with all that had happened to me in the last year that uh, uh, I've really learned a lot about uh, how how we are as a society and whatnot. But you know, yep. I, I I I how I treated my my own business moving forward as a goalie coach from the day I started. I. I am going to stand stand firm with it in how I believe is I got to stay true to me. And, uh, and as long as I, I face everything with the intent that I'm out here to help and serve. And, uh, if I have good intentions in my heart that, uh, eventually good, good will come out of it. And, uh, I'm not going to stick to it, man. I'm not going to, uh, give in to you know I'm gonna I'm not gonna cower uh, mm-hmm. to to the crap, but I'm not gonna turn this into a big battle, right? Because it's a waste of my time. Exactly, exactly. Well, let's switch gears a little bit because I've been taking up quite a bit of your time here, That's and cool. and I'm appreciative. So I like to end every episode with a list of ten questions. I used to call them rapid fire, but I can't really do that because they take longer than a rapid fire should be because they, they bring up other stories, which is always fun. Uh, But what I love about them is they're the same questions I've asked every single guest, you know, from the Bantam goalies straight up to, you know, Stanley cup champions. Uh, So it's kind of fun to hear the the different answers. And the first one is what's the craziest coaching moment from your time in hockey where a coach just lost it. And you're like, what's going on here? <laughs> uh, you know what? There, there's so many. Man. That, that that's a tough one. Um, I, I'll give you a uh, a more recent one though. Uh, I was um, I was backing up uh, in in Ontario, and. Uh, it was the I, I backed up a few times, not just with Jonah and and uh, and Stutz had um, the the coach, uh, the goalie had let a couple in, and more as a joke than anything. Turned and he said, "Emo," and I was like, it brought back those old <laughs> memories of uh, you know that feeling. Like prior, I'd been so far gone from that that it never really. It was gone, and, and all of a sudden, that memory of that, the, the nod, I was like, what? And then he laughed, and it was done. It was, it was, a, very small, it was a very small, but uh, a very funny one. That was a crazy coaching memory. But yeah, but when I was playing, man, there are so many, but especially back the junior days. Oh, yeah. Like, so we're talking in the 80s. You know, I, I talked about one when I had Oli on uh, Kolzig on my podcast, we were we were in training camp together uh, and uh, the coach was a nut bar and from the old iron league. And he had all the players spar right in the locker room, just right on the floor in the middle, hits punching each other in the face and super tough team when I was with the new Westminster Bruins. So I'm sitting there and I'm still like 130 pounds 
like soaking wet. And uh, he's like, holy, Dusty, you're next. Holy, six foot four, <laughs> yeah. 40 pounds. And I'm like, and he's he was like dead serious. So Oli and I had to spar. Like, I'm a goalie, like, and I had no problem fighting people. But I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So that was probably, I'll give you that one. That's probably the best one. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I was in a junior camp and uh, we had four goalies on the team at the time. And it was the first week of post-camp. So it was actually after the camp. It was like day two of regular team practice, I think it was. And the coach goes, all right, give me four lines at the center circle facing each other. We're like, okay. And he goes on the whistle, the first two guys. Basically the old football drill of run right into each other. And we're like, what? And all four of us goalies are like, ah. what do you want us to do during this? We're thinking we'll go do some movement drills or something. He goes, you guys get in line too. <laughs> and our eyes just are like, uh, why? <laughs> and for a half hour, he was just blowing the whistle and we were boom, boom. And then long whistle and we're like, Oh God, thank you. Because we're all just hurting at this point, you know, spending mm-hmm. a half hour just going full speed into each other. And he goes, all right. Now I want a line here on the blue line. I want the other line on the goal line. When I blow the whistle, guy in the goal line starts skating up. Guy in the blue line just drills them <laughs> into the boards. And again, us goalies are like, uh, what do you want us to do? <laughs> and he's like, get in line. And we're like, shit. <laughs> and so we start doing this. And I don't know how long it went, but the rink actually ended that drill because we all kept hitting – and it just seemed to line up right at the door and the stanchions on the door were getting bent away from the, the rink. And they're like, no, we now have to fix the door. You can't do this anymore. And the next day we came into practice, a couple guys had cracked ribs. We're all just bruised. And <laughs> like we hadn't chosen captains yet, but the guys that were going to be the captains, you know, we talked to them like, you gotta go talk to the coach. This has to be a no contact day. Like, this is ridiculous. And so they went and talked to him and he wasn't too happy. He thought we were all a bunch of soft hockey players, but it was like, <laughs> we, we can't be doing this again. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Uh, so the next question, and this is a fun one with the two behind you. What's your favorite all-time goalie mask? Um, Cheevers. That, that's a good one. And that's actually one of the common ones that I, I get. And I, I'm kicking myself for not doing this when I started the podcast, but started going back, listening to this portion of the old episodes. And I'm putting together a spreadsheet to see what the breakdown is of the most right, right. answered one. And there, there's a couple others we'll get to where you'll go, okay, I, I wonder what, what that breakdown is. Uh, my, my second would be, and this is very easy because and this shows that childhood memories are very, very important and big my second one is kurt ridley and like most people don't will never know who kurt ridley is Mm -hmm. Uh, but he was a canucks goalie and he had this simple mask but it had the a white mask with the two hockey sticks going across oh yeah and uh and that was my other favorite one so goalies may not recognize the name but they would recognize the mask if they saw it right yeah yeah, yeah. yes so cool what is your favorite rink that you ever played at? Oh, there's a bunch. There's some real cool ones, but I would, I would say, 
either either uh, Fort Wayne, uh, the jungle, <laughs> uh, or the Cincinnati rink was pretty cool. And like, there's a lot of other rinks, like away rinks, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that were pretty neat. But, but as far as, you know, you know, I was in Cincy for a short time in Fort Wayne and, and those two rinks, uh, the fans, and it was just crazy. Yeah. And, uh, they were pretty cool rings. So the next question is, what's your favorite stick that you ever used? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I for years and years and years, I for most all of my career, I used Louisville, and uh, and for a brief, I want to say a year and a half or so until they ran out. I would have probably used them for the rest of my career, but they stopped making them. I switched to Hespler. Okay. Yeah. And uh, they made the exact same pattern that I'd used for years, but I switched over to this, the Hespler. And I can't even remember why I did it, but uh, I did, and they were awesome. And then they stopped making them. So I went back and finished off my career with uh, Louisville's. Well, I, I can say you're the first one to uh, bring up the Hespler stick. So that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your favorite youth hockey memory? Um. I don't know if, if I have like a, a one because I back then I achieved a lot of stuff, you know, like I, I was getting a lot of little individual kind of awards things, but I don't really care about, never cared about that as much. It, it doesn't hold in my memory. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I remember the most and it's, it's seared in my brain is after morning practices, because in Canada we'd have these six and five in the morning practices uh, before school. Uh, I would remember after going to McDonald's and sitting in the train, they would have this train in the McDonald's and I'd eat hotcakes. <laughs> and I just thought that was the cool, the- I vividly remember that, associate that feeling, a good feeling with hockey. Yeah. And, go, and playing hockey as a kid. That's the one thing that I'll always remember. Oh, that's cool. I, I like that one. Uh, so what's the best chirp you've heard on the ice, off the ice, directed at you, not directed at you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't, this is going to be really unpolitically correct. And if this ever were to have happened nowadays, it, this would be like <laughs> Twitter yeah. heaven. Um, I was in, uh, junior <laughs> in, uh, <laughs> in medicine hat. I was playing for Leftbridge Hurricanes and, uh, <laughs> there was this one section off to the side and I forget what section it, it was the famous section, like section C, C, whatever. There's this group, a couple guys or whatever. And, uh, famous for their chirping mm-hmm. and, uh, I come to the bench. <laughs> Sorry, I can't even say this in straight face. Uh, all of a sudden, it got, it got all silent. I was taking a drink, and I hear, Hey, Emu, can, can you say Hiroshima? <laughs> like, like, you want to talk about, that's bad. Yeah. Like, that's bad as it gets. Like, 
But hey, like it, it got me. It was a good one. And everyone on our bench, <laughs> I remember Wes Walls, Mark Gregg, all the boys, Jamie McLennan was the backup at the time. And we were all sitting there laughing our, our butts off. It was, uh, it was like, yeah, he got me. Nowadays, not so cool, but uh, back then it was pretty funny. Yeah, is uh, Larry the Cable Guy would say, "I don't care who you are, that's funny." <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the worst post game drink you've had? The worst post game drink? Yep. We talking booze? Uh, you know, usually I say talking- worst post game beer, but uh, you said you, you kind of gave that one up, so it it could be anything. Uh, <laughs> well. I was the master at that, so I don't think there was a bad one. But uh, uh, early, early on in my career, I had a bad, 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 life-changing experience with tequila and, <laughs> and, and never drank it again. So uh, that tequila, Mr. Tequila, is the devil, and I would, I, to this day, don't drink it. <laughs> I don't drink anything now, but... It, it, I, even when I was drinking, I, yeah. all through my pro, pro, uh, professional career, my adulthood, I never drank it again. Yeah, it, I, I'm with you. I, I really haven't had hardly any hard liquor since my bachelor party. Um, <laughs> that's a story that's not uh, safe for young years, to, to be sure. But needless <laughs> to say, I uh, my wife told me I can't have it. Now, I've, I've got some of Eddie Belfort's whiskey on the shelf over there. Had a little bit of that, you know, little bits, but it's like, nope, no hard liquor, just beer for me since the bachelor party. And this was 18, almost 19 years ago. (laughs) Those experiences will do it for you, man. Yeah. Well, you know, I I blame my cousin uh, and karma kind of came back to to bite him because I, I had enough awareness of myself that I knew I shouldn't have any more because before we even went out, I had had a few beers uh, as we were cooking barbecuing in the backyard before we went bar hopping. And then when we got to the bars, my cousins and buddies were like, all right, for every bar we stop at, you have to have a beer and a Jaeg bomb. I was like, okay, thinking I'll pace myself. Well, after you have a few, you start drinking them quicker. And I think it was about the fourth or fifth bar we were at, you know, and this was after having probably a six pack at home before we even left. You know, I look at my best man and I'm like, I know that I'm at a point where I need a break, but I'm also at a point where if somebody brings me something, I'm still going to drink it. So I need you to like regulate things and no more. No sooner do I get done saying that he looks at my cousin, gives him the head nod. And then my cousin proceeds to bring me a stoplight. I don't know what was in it, but one drink was green. One drink was yellow and one drink was red. And that's when the night kind of goes blurry and dark on me. But my cousin who got me the stoplight had to then carry me up to my bed on the second floor of the house when we got home. And he was about three months uh, out of having broken his back skateboarding. And he's like, oh, you're like, it just hurt my back so bad carrying up there. I was like, yeah. How do you think I felt the next couple of days after that? It was like karma, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, so no hard liquor since that night, that's for sure. <laughs> so when you. when you taped your stick, did you go heel to toe or toe to heel? Uh, heel to toe. Okay, you're like most <laughs> I had to think about that a second. I'm like, I, I just did so, I'm 
knowingly. Yeah. Heel to toe. Most goalies do that. I've had a few that do it to say toe to heel. And I had two different goalies say those that go toe to heel are psychopaths. And I'm going, <laughs> I think you're overreacting. But the fact that two different ones said it, not knowing the other said it, I was like, there might be a correlation here. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your favorite number to wear and why? Um, well, uh, I, well, in junior, when I started, I think uh, you bounce around, like I wore one, mm-hmm. uh, through my years in, in, in Lethbridge, uh, and, uh, New West. But then I, my last year junior, I switched to, uh, I got to pick and I picked 40. Uh, and, I uh, don't, I think it was cause of I saw Peter Angelo wear it and I thought, well, that's pretty cool. So I wore that. But then my first year pro, uh, I, I think I went to 40 right off the bat, but I, I was like, uh, there was something missing. I wanted my number, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, I f- first year in Japan. Uh, so I ended up from 12 years, I picked the number I wanted and that was 70. And, and why 70? Everyone thinks it's cause that's when I was born. Uh, 1970 yeah and uh it wasn't i was literally and let's for the record i am the original holder of 70 not holtby (laughs) (laughs) um but i'm just joking but uh i wore it simply because as a kid as forward because i played forward first i always loved the number seven i thought it was the coolest number i don't know why i have no idea why i couldn't tell you but then as soon as it came full circle and I could pick any number I wanted. I was like, I, mean, I think 70 would be cool, man. Like I could be that the seven I wanted, but it's a goalie number at the zero. So that's how I picked it. All right. I like it. I like it. Uh, so the last question, what advice do you have for young goaltenders? That's a tough one, but uh, I guess I'll just stick with, you know, my, my model that I've, you know, everybody's asked and you've, probably heard me say it on on that the what's the uh in podcast goal. in goal and yeah and stuff but i i everyone was quite shocked when i said you know just my philosophy you know you, you have to love yourself and love what you do mm-hmm. and uh i think that i've become more convicted in my beliefs as time has gone on because of the success i've had but i really truly believe that uh, if we come from a place within and that we're happy with ourselves as people, regardless of what we do in our success, whether we fail or whether we succeed, that if you have a love for yourself and, and, uh, and love what you do and have gratitude and humility, that success will happen in front of you. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I still believe that even with, and even more so with younger people, if we can develop that philosophy and belief system in them early, that your skills will shine. You'll be lifted. I believe that wholeheartedly, even more so than the day I started coaching. No, I I couldn't agree more. It's, uh, I, you know, you mentioned lo- loving yourself and just love. I, I think that's probably the biggest thing missing in society these days is just love. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, it sounds a little kumbaya-ish and all of that, but I, I think it's, I think it's true. <laughs> well, it's funny whenever I get 
together and, and, and with a new project or person and I developed a relationship and now, especially now, cause people kind of know how I am and, and how I coach, uh, they're waiting for it a little bit. And, uh, but as time rolls on, they're like, Holy smokes, <laughs> <laughs> they drink the Kool-Aid and they, they, uh, they're all in and they're like, it, it becomes this big freight train of positivity and, and moving forward. And, uh, uh, you know, that I let just as we finish off, before we finish off, if you have another question, I just want to make sure I say that my whole passion and movement right now, and I haven't done anything because of the, my silence and what has happened, I'm more motivated than ever to share this. And, and that's why I'm going to refocus, relaunch uh, the, the goalie therapist. And I don't. I hope, you know, if I get another job, great. But my focus now is I'm going to focus on helping others. And I want to help young kids now where I kind <clears> of <throat> focused more on professional NHL and, and the bigger money and whatever. Uh, I'm going to make it more affordable because I feel with society, as you said, now has really created a bad environment for our kids and, and not just kids, but our youth for sure. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 you know, the depression and suicide rates and everything. I'm like, man, I can help in this area and it'll help them become better goldies. But more importantly for me, I will help hopefully help people get through this time. And I'm going to re you know, launch all of this. And I just wanted to say I, I, no shame. And I want to plug that before oh, I let you absolutely. go. Uh, it's uh, an important mission for me now. Yeah, and and I'll make sure to put uh, a link to uh, the goalie therapist in the show notes too, so oh, people thanks, can find man. it and uh, check it out. Uh, because yeah, just having the right mindset and you know have given others grace, you know that's the other thing too, because you, you don't know what's going on. Uh, in fact, we, we sure. had that uh, discussion with our kids where um, they came home, they're talking about this kid who was being very nice, and we said, well, do you know? what's going on in his home, you know, is there something mm-hmm. they're like, well, I don't know. And then, then they came home a couple of days later and found out he was kind of going through some stuff and we're like, see, he was acting out. It wasn't because he was just a, you know, mean kid. There was other things going on and he was looking for attention. And it, it was unfortunately a really good learning experience for the kids. Uh-oh. I think. Did we, you got to balance because you don't get, are you there still? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, here I am. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. Sorry, I, I lost you for a sec. Um, the, it's a tough one because the kids and what they're being uh, force fed and, and how things are nowadays, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's a real important message, I think, that uh, what we just talked about and, and, uh, and being, uh, like you said, gracious, open, and li- mm-hmm. listen, man, try to listen to people, regardless of what, what side you're on, what, what your beliefs are. Uh, if you don't have the ability to listen, uh, it, it doesn't become, uh, an environment where you can grow. Yep. Well, the old saying, you learn more by listening. <laughs> I, <totally laughs> yeah. I believe that as a coach, I, I say that as well. Like, for advice to coaches and stuff. That's one of my biggest ones. Uh, yeah. That, learn to listen because we get caught up in trying to sh- 
you know, flex our muscles and show what we can, te- you know, what we know and what we can teach. And uh, the the art of listening is dying. And, and I, that go- I think it's helpful for everybody, not just coaches. Absolutely. Well, Desi, I, I think we could probably keep talking for quite some time. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's been a fantastic conversation. I, I'm very grateful for your time and the conversation we've had. So thank you. Oh, anytime, man. I- this episode came together quickly. I reached out to Dusty on a Tuesday and on Wednesday we were talking. I think this conversation was fascinating considering Dusty's past. I hope you also enjoyed it and found some useful takeaways. Be sure to follow Dusty on Instagram at DustyEmu70 and look for his new podcast, The Motley Thoughts, coming out soon. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube simply by searching for Wash Up Goalie and I'll pop up. Visit washupgoalie.com for some great hockey-related content, my beer league hockey video highlights, and of course, all podcast episodes. If you want some Wash Up Goalie or Tendy Talk apparel, be sure to visit my Threadless shop by clicking the merchandise link on my website. If you like this podcast, go listen to the BLPA Big Show. It's the OG BLPA Podcast Network show where a couple of beer league players talk beer league hockey, draft experience shenanigans, and exploits from around the game. Be sure to check out the full lineup of hockey-related podcasts as well on the Hockey Podcast Network. There are too many to list here, but shows like the Press the Zone Montreal podcast, the Catfish on Ice podcast, and the Devil's State of Mind podcast with former Tendy Talk guest Neil can be found. I need to thank the, Z- the band Zambonis for allowing me to use their music on this episode. You can download their music on iTunes or listen wherever you stream music from. I'm always working on lining up other goalies to talk to. If you are a goalie or have connections to a goalie who I should talk to, shoot me an email at washupgoalie39 at gmail.com or send me a DM on social media. Let's not forget, if you are a brand who wants to sponsor the show, be sure to reach out to me. Be happy to talk. And finally, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on the podcast platform you're listening on. It's a quick action on your part that helps others find Tindy Talk. Until next time, keep your stick on the ice and your body square to the puck.
parking. Yeah, I did. Hey, have you checked out the pond today? It's funny you ask. I was just down there this morning. Yeah, any good news? Well, Dave, the pond? Yeah. It's froze right over.